So we're holding, I'm just going to record it to, for the record and for the audience. So we're holding in the Shear of Hodu. And last week we looked at the history of the Shear. We looked at the liturgical development of the Shear, uh, of the song. We looked at some of the basic ideas of Thanksgiving and what gratitude means in the greater context of tefillah. Just to recap really quickly, um, this shir was sung by David HaMelech. David HaMelech composed this shir when they returned the Aron HaKodesh to Yerushalayim. So the Aron HaKodesh was captured by the Pilishtim, and the Philistines had it for seven months, uh, during which time they were struck with hemorrhoids and plagues and mice, and all sorts of wacky things were happening to them. So eventually they got spooked out enough that they decided to return the Aron Kodesh. <clears throat> now, David HaMelech, as they brought the Aron Kodesh to Yerushalayim, instituted that since the Aron Kodesh was separated from the Mishkan, they should have an honorary guard um, around the Aron Kodesh and they should have ceremonies daily um, at which the Levim and the Kohanim would do service and the Levim would sing a shira twice a day. So the first section of Hodu, from Hodu la Hashem, Kiru Bishmo, all the way until Uben Viyai Al Tareu, that section is the what the song they would sing in the morning, and Chiru la Hashem Kol all the way until uh, in our Sidurim, it's probably uh, Roma Mu Hashem. That section was said in the evening. It's almost like the Korban of the Tamid, morning and evening. Now. Um, according to some Rishonim, they continued this into the Beit HaMikdash era. Even after the Beit HaMikdash was built um, by King Shlomo, after David, they continued this practice. According to some, it seized after, um, after the Beit HaMikdash was built. Eventually, it, um, uh, the Minhag became to say it every day in Shachrit, how and, and who says it. Today, most, uh, we discussed last week, most people today uh, do say it. The Sfaradim say it before Baruch Shamar, and the Ashkenazim say it after Baruch Shamar. Both of them have um, Kabbalistic reasons for it, and the Ari and the, the, the Minhag of most of the Sfaradim was to, 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 was to do it before Baruch Shamar, and the Ashkenazim do it after. Both are very, completely valid. Now, <coughs> as for the, <coughs> sorry, the theology of Thanksgiving, we have spoken about at length before um, in our intro, we have a shir called Introduction to Psuke de Zimra, which discusses what uh, what the purpose is of Psuke de Zimra. And in particular, Hodu la Hashem is a shir of gratitude, it's a shir of thanksgiving. And we saw the Cholot Halevavot says <coughs> that gratitude, or Hakarat HaTov, is the um, basis for our duty and obligation and what compels us to serve Hashem. Not so much, not, not simply do we believe in a personal God, but furthermore we believe that we are obligated to serve Him. And that compulsion comes from a theology of gratitude. And the criteria, the criteria that He gives for gratitude are intent and reach. Number one, if someone intends to do something good for you, and number two, if it was far out of reach for you, those criteria determine how much gratitude you owe to someone. If someone opens a door for you, that wasn't out of, out, of, out of reach, but the intention was good, and still we owe gratitude. And conversely, if uh, someone gives you a million dollars, that might be very out of reach. Even if he doesn't like you, still you owe him gratitude. Kalvachomer, 
um, if someone loves you and does a favor for you, do we owe them gratitude? And Kabbalah, if Hashem does something for, to us and for us, which is so completely out of reach, such as creating all of existence, giving us life, and doing things that we cannot do, and His intent was for our good, this, um, these facts compel us to have gratitude to Hashem and to thank Him. This form of thanks can come in service, it can come in prayer, and in our situation here in the Shira, we begin with a praise, with a shvach. This is a form of prayer where we um, praise Hashem and by doing so, grow ourselves. That's the, the purpose of uh, Hodu. That's a, that's a quick recap of last week's Shior. <clears throat> now, um, the thing with Hodu in Divre is that it's sourced from Divrei Hayamim. And because this is a Shior and Tefillah, we're not really going to do a Shior on Navi. If we were going to do a Shior on Navi, we would have to spend a lot of time in the text, every Pasuk. We'll do, you know, Rashi and Radak and all that. However, it's not feasible, really, to make this a Shior about Navi. I don't believe we're going to make it a Shior about Humash when we get to Azia Shior either. Um, but we do have to discuss the... We do have to get a primary, solid understanding of Hodu, and therefore we're going to do a, an overview examination of the Shior. So there's three primary ways to approach the study of Hodu. The first is a historical approach. Some of the Rishonim, when they wrote their Pirush on Hodu, they interpreted most of the terms and most of the praises here to be a reference to the Aron Kodesh, to the historical event that was that the Aron Kodesh was miraculously brought back to Yerushalayim. The second approach is a more general view because these Sukim are almost, um, uh, I, uh, what's the word? It, repeated um, verbatim in, in Tehilim. There's basically in Tehilim we have all of these Pesukim with very minor differences repeated um, in Perak Kufhei and Perak Tzadivav. They understand it to be a more general shear. It was a more, that the history of it was that it was more general, it was a shvach that David HaMelech wrote, and they tweaked it and tuned it for the Aaron Kodesh so they don't interpret the whole shear and all of the references and every word and verse to be to be talking about their own Kodesh. That's the second approach that the Rishonim take. The third, which we're going to see last, is a philosophical approach which is taken by their Al-Bag. So let's first take the historical approach. And I'm going to assume that the audience listening on the podcast and everyone here <clears throat> has a basic understanding of most of the words, so forgive me if I don't translate something, because we're going to go through this um, Piece by piece. So the first pasuk, Hodu la Hashem kirubishmo. Give thanks to Hashem, proclaim His name. Kiru means to declare. We declare in the name of Hashem. We declare that we believe in Him. We declare that things are ascribed to Him. Hodiu ba'amim alilotav, and make His deeds known among the nations. So, if we understand, like those Rishonim, which are the Mefarsh, the Redak, the Chassid, Ashkenaz, that the um, Shir is contemporary. Alilotav here, the deeds, the deeds that we're speaking of would be um, that um, the meaning of Alilotav would be to the deeds that Hashem did against the Plishtim. So, because Hashem struck the, Nisi, the Plishtim with different plagues and forced them to bring their own back, those are the deeds or the Nisim that Hashem did. That's how they interpret Ali Lotav. That's directly referring to the incident or the episode of the Aron Kodesh. Shiru lo, zamiru lo, 
sing to him, make music to him, and speak of all of his wonders. Niflotav over here would necessarily be speaking of the um, the miracles that happened to the that happened in uh, to the police to the police team. Uh, I might have. I'm sorry. I might have missed something. I just placed that in the wrong. Hey, I put, sorry. I placed that in the wrong section. Um, be proud of his holy name. Hitalalu doesn't mean praise. Hitalalu is the reflexive. So what it means is you should feel praise. You should feel glorified with the name of Hashem because we are lucky enough to praise Him. The heart will rejoice those who seek Hashem. Dirshu Hashem, pursue the closeness of Hashem, vi'uzo, and the manifestation of His power. Bakshu panav tamid, constantly seek His presence. So vi'uzo, according to the Mefarshim, who, who um, like the Mefarsh, he explains vi'uzo to mean the Aron Kodesh, because sometimes the Aron um, Kodesh is called uzo, as we see in Tehilim, vayitein l'shevi uzo, and that uh, his might was held in captivity, and uzo over there definitely means the Aron, so over here, this would be a poetic reference. Uzo would be a poetic reference to the Aaron Kodesh, which was rescued from the Plishtim. Zichru neflaotav Again, the Leviim would have been singing. You should remember the, the miracles which he did. Moftav pihu, his miracles on the laws of his mouth. Bnei Yaakov bechirav, the children of Yaakov who are his chosen. Hu Hashem alokin b'cholaris mishpatav, he is Hashem our God. His judgments are over the entire world. Zichru le'olam brito. So, at this point, it recalls the Nisim. At this point, the, the Shira goes a little backwards in time. And now the Shira starts hearkening the Nisim that happened to the Avot before them, before their time, before the time of David HaMelech. Zichru l'alam birito. Remember forever his covenant, which he did with Avram Avinu. Davar tziva le'elaftar. And the word, the word is with a capital W here, because davar means Torah. Le'elaftar, which was... Um, for a thousand generations. So poetically, Le'eleftar means forever. However, the Midrashim say that Hashem initially intended to give the Torah after a thousand generations from the creation of the world, and he saw that the world wouldn't uh, stand because it couldn't uh, withstand for so long, whatever that means, and he gave it instead after 26. And therefore, Hashem commanded his Torah for a thousand generations, but miraculously, he gave it to us early. So this is mentioning two Nisim, that Hashem, why did Hashem do Nisim for the Avot? He did Nisim because he promised to give the land to Avram Avinu, and secondly, because he promised to give the Torah to us. So this is, again, hearkening back to the, to the miracles that he did for the, um, for the Avot. Asher karat et Avraham which he made with Avraham, and his shvua, uh, his swear to Yitzchak, v'emidel Yaakov l'chok, which he established for Yaakov as a statute, l'Yisrael b'yit olam, and for Yisrael, meaning b'nei Yisrael, um, as an eternal covenant. Lemor to say, l'cha'atein eretz kenan chebel nachalatchem, saying that to you I shall give the land of Canaan a share of your heritage. And now it, um, now the shear speaks of B'nai Israel as they were in that time, as they were going to, down to B'nai Israel. As you were but a small number of people, few and strangers in it. The patriarchs went from nation to nation. Avram Avinu went to Mitzrayim, and he went, you know, he was, he was all over the place. Yitzchak, Yaakov, they, had, they traveled from Canaan back and forth. From one kingdom to another people. However, even though they were tra- traveling and wandering, 
Hashem did not permit any person to harm them. And he punished kings on account of them. So the Mepharshim explained that this means Paro and Abimelech. We know that Paro tried to, uh, I believe it was Paro tried to take uh, uh, Sarah, and Abimelech tried to take, am I getting my history right? Rivka, or the reverse. Um, so the, yeah, those Malachim would be them. Um, Hashem said to them, don't touch my anointed ones. Meshichai can also mean my distinguished ones, not just my anointed ones. Do not cause, cause harm to my prophets. We know the Pasuk says, Return the, the, the wife of this man because he is a prophet. So again, directly referring back to those Pasukim and Breshit, um, that Hashem did not allow harm to happen to even the Avot. Sing to Hashem, all dwellers of the earth. So this section, second part, this is the second section, beginning with Pasuk over there, Chaf Aleph, um, pivots more almost to the future, but now it's going back onto the Aron, specifically because this, the, David HaMelech selected certain Pasukim from the Tehillim composition, and he left some out. Over here he's leaving out a couple of, a couple of Pasukim because he's trying to directly focus the attention on on the miracle that happened contemporaneously. Furthermore, this miracle was was unique because this miracle happened only to a Gentile nation and was only experienced by the Gentile nation to the seclusion of Bnei Israel. They weren't there, they didn't see it. It wasn't like Mitzrayim where Makat Choshech, everybody experienced. Instead, this happened in the land of the Plishtim and they alone experienced all the hemorrhoids, the mice, and and uh, the suffering and the and the temple which 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 was was which was destroyed. Um, so that's why it continues. Sapru bagoyim et kivodo. Maybe I didn't translate. Basum yom yom shuato. Proclaim daily his salvation of you. Sapru bagoyim et kivodo. Relate his glory amongst the nations. Bechol haamim niflotav. His wonders among all people. Ki gadol Hashem umhulal meod v'norahu alkol Elohim. For Hashem is great and He is most praised, and He is awesome above all powers. Kikol Elohe Ha'amim Elilim, for all the gods of the nations are nothing. Hashem Hashem made the heavens. So Elilim here would refer to the god of the Plishtim. If we were taking the historical approach, the god of the Plishtim, his name was uh, Dagon, his name, I mean, he was a statue, but his name was Dagon, and there was a temple where when the Plishtim brought the Aron back to their land, they, I forgot the name of their city, they put the, um, the, uh, the Aron Kodesh in the temple. They thought it was like a, like a victory thing, like their god had won the Aron Kodesh. They come back the next morning, and uh, it was flat, their, temp, their uh, god was flat on the floor. So they're like, oh, maybe it was a mistake. They put it back up. The next night, it was, the, the next night they wake up in the morning, it was flat on the floor, and its knees were broken, and its torso and its head were on the floor. It was all crashed. That spooked them out. And that's that's basically Elilim would, would refer to that god which which um, spooked them because the Arona uh, for some reason destroyed it. Uh, <laughs> it was in the mood. Okay, hold <laughs> uh, the Arona is very sensitive, honestly. It says, tangentially, there's a Midrash which says that some of the Kanim tried to lift it and it basically. Uh, propelled them in the air, like a, like a, like a bomb. Like they all tried to come lift it, and it just shot them all in the air. Because of the elder. I I don't remember where. Is that is that what is that where it is? I think so. Yeah, they had to like shech the tamid and something like that. It's very scary stuff. Um, 
Okay, so the rest of this, yeah, let me let me just go through the rest of this quickly just to translate. Um, there's majesty and grandeur are in his presence. Strength and joy are in his place. Komo would mean in the Beit HaMikdash, which would eventually be built. Refer to Hashem, you families of nations. Ascribe to Hashem honor and power. Render to Hashem the honor befitting of his name. Bring a gift and come before him. Prostrate yourselves before Hashem in the splendor of his holiness. Uh, tremble before him, dwellers of the earth. Of the earth. Also the world is set firm and it shall not falter. Now, the Mephire says something very interesting here. He says, generally, when you have a king, especially authoritarian kings, their, their nature is, when they realize that their people have fear of them, to further exert their power and to further exert their, um, their strength and to make the people even more scared so that they can take and exploit the people more. However, the opposite is true of Hashem because the more the people fear him, the more the world is set firm, so to speak, the more peace and tranquility the people have. The more Yirat Shemayim there is, the less problems there are in the world. That is why, according to Mefaresh, it uses the word Aftikon. Like, also, not just also, but that the whole world trembles from him. And even so, Af would mean even so, Tikon Tevel Batimot, the world sets firm. Let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad and let the, the and let them proclaim amongst the nations Hashem has reigned. Uh, now poetic uh, insertions. Let the sea let the sea that which is within it roar. Let the field from uh, and all within it exult. Then the trees of the forest will break into song before Hashem, for He has come to judge the world. Now this. Final three psukim are the part that gives us the most trouble. The if we take the historical approach for explaining Hodul Hashem Kitov, now these couple of psukim don't come from from the Perakin Tehilim Tzadivav. They come from Kufvav, which is the one right after Kuf Hey. So the first section of Hodu comes from Kuf Hey. Second section comes from Kufvav from Tzadivav. And then the last four psukim, for some reason, they come from uh, they come from Perek Kufvav 106. Now it's not even giving us straight psukim. Hodul Hashem Kitov Kilam Chasto is from the first pasuk of, of 106. Those next psukim are from the last two psukim of 106. So what exactly is going on? So there, there are four main. Uh, four main explanations. The first is the Malvim. The Malvim says that what's actually happening here is very simple. Ezra is abbreviating, Ezra HaSofer, who wrote the Brehayamim, is abbreviating what they would actually say. He's basically abbreviating that what would happen was that after they were finished uh, Kufhei and Tzadivav, they would then say Perek Kufvav. So it just says the first Pasuk, the last Pasuk, and is trying to tell you which Pasukim and Tehilim they said. That's one theory. The other theory is the Mefarish. The Mefarish says that, no, what's really happening here is that this is going back on the first section. And really, Kufhe and Kufav were one, were one Mizmar. The only reason David Melech split them up was for brevity. He wanted to make them shorter. But really, Kufhe and Kufav are one. And so the last Psukim are really hearkening, are really belong. They're part of the first section of Hodu. That's, that's approach number two. 
the Radak believes that David Melech was, uh, he wanted to speak to the future as well. So he pivots to like a, a prophecy of the future. And he wanted to pray for the Gula. Am I getting a call? Are you getting a call? Someone's getting a call. All right, so he wanted to pray for the future Gula that in the future people should experience such miracles as well. Um, Rabbi Eisenman, who, as we said last week, uh, spent six years studying the Hayamim, he wrote a, a book for Art Scroll. On page 432 or 3, I believe, he suggests another approach, which is that the last three Pesukim, or four, uh, how can I count? Am I able to count? One, two, three. The last three Pesukim, he suggests another approach, which is that the last three Pesukim, the first three, the first Pasuk, Hodul Hashem Kitov, is going back on the first Pasuk of Hodul Hashem Kiru It's basically a summary. The last three Pesukim are a summary. Hodul Hashem Kitov, Pilam Chasto, that's a summary of Hodul Hashem Kiru Then... Um, which makes no sense. Why would I middle of nowhere? I just said Hodul Hashem Why am I going to say Hashem save us, the God of our salvation? Uh, you know, gather us from the nations. What does that have to do with Hodul Hashem That's going on the middle part of this year, which, as we said, was speaking about all the miracles that happened to the Blishtim and all the miracles that happened to the Avot. So we're praying that we should have those miracles happen to us as well. And finally, Baruch Hashem That part. Um, is, if I remember correctly, give me a second here, the last part, we in the last part we're declaring that Hashem, Elokei Yisrael, will remain our protector, Elokei Yisrael, forever and ever. That's what he believes might be the, the last few Pesukim, that there would be a summary of the previous, um, of the previous uh, three sections. Now, finally, they're not finally, <laughs> second to last, there's a general approach. So the Gra, the Malbim, the Mesudat, the Vida, and Rabbi they all understand that Tehillim was a sheer, that, that this sheer of Hodu was a song which was written by David Melech, by David Melech for Tehillim. However, at this occasion, when the Aron was rescued from the Plishtim, he decided to tweak it and use it for, for that event. But that doesn't mean that the sheer and every word inside of it is completely is directly referring to the Aron Kodesh or referring to Dagon or referring to the Plishtim or any of those miracles. And so they interpret it more neutrally and they don't uh, attribute every word back to their own. Still, insofar as that's true, um, I wanted to look for... They don't uh, translate uh, Hodu very differently, but I wanted to stop for a few points that the Gra, the Gaon Nivona, brings out from Hodu, which I thought were worth repeating here. <coughs> um, now the first point that the Gra in his Pirush to Devarei Amim brings out is in Pasuk Yud, where it says, Hitalilu b'shem kadsho. And, yeah, I think it's on, on Hitalilu b'shem kadsho, you should feel praised in the name of Hashem, uh, with, the, with the name of Hashem. So the Gra explains that it says, I believe the language of the Pasuk is, and the, the Midrash says that Bnei Israel in the Beit HaMikdash would use the shame of Yud Kevavke. And Bigvulim, in the Sefer, it says, outside of the Beit HaMikdash, we would use Aleph Dalit Nun Yud. For the reason for this was because they understood, 
how to use the Shem Hashem. They understood in the Beit HaMikdash there were certain techniques for using the Shem Hashem to make it more efficacious. However, outside of the Beit HaMikdash, even though you saw, you saw Yud, hey, Yud, then Hey, then Dod, then Hey, we still had to use the words Aleph, Dal, and Nun, Yud, because we understood that Aleph, Dal, and Nun, Yud was the, was the Galoi, and Yud, and Hey, and Vav, Hey was the Nistar. So the understanding of how to use Hashem's names is extremely powerful. We've spoken about this in other, in other Shurim. And B'nai Israel's capability of knowing how to use Hashem's names to our capability is what we should feel reflexively praised in. Hit hallelujah, we shall feel praised in that. Point number two. He's, the Pasuk says, Remember the wonders which he did. His miracles and the laws of his mouth. So what's the difference between a mofet and a, and a pella? So the grass says that a a mofet is something that occur, that exists in nature already, however, it's reversed. So you could have uh, water that's standing like a wall, you could have a sun that stands in its place, you could have gravity that works the opposite way. Instead of something staying stationary, it'll fly. Something that exists in our world already, however, um, its nature is reversed. That would be a mofet. Pella is a new creation, something that never existed in our universe at all. So an example of that would be the man, or the anane hakavod, something which Hashem creates, which is completely new, never found the planet Earth before, that would be considered a Pela. That's the difference according to the Gra. In Pasuk Chafbet, it says, one more, an, another uh, point he points out is it says, al tigu'ubim shichai, um, and the Pasuk says by, I think, Avimelech, Hashem told Avimelech that I didn't allow you to touch her. And he says, the grass says that, um, don't touch my distinguished ones. That's the Nashim, that Hashem pr- protects the women of B'nai Yisrael. Distinguished ones are the women. And Pasuk Chavzayin, the Gra brings a, uh, the Gra explains the difference between Hod ve Hadar. Where is the Pasuk? Uh, give me a second. So, majesty and grandeur are in his presence. Strength and joy are in his place. So what's the difference between hod, which is translated as majesty or glory, and hadar, which is generally translated as grandeur and splendor? Says the Gra that hod is um, inherent or essential beauty. When something has its own inherent power, beauty, Radiance, that's what we call hod. Hadar is any acquired beauty. For the examples he gives are the sun and the moon. The sun itself radiates light, while the moon only radiates light, which it has received from something else. So Hashem is able to manifest his his uh, glory in multiple dynamic ways. That's why we say hod v'hadar. Uh, for more information on this, there's a Malbim on Barchi Nafshiyat Hashem, and where it says Hod Vahadar Lavashta, that Hashem wears clothes of Hod Vahadar, he explains it a little bit more esoterically. But that's the framework for understanding when we say Hod and when we say Hadar. One is um, intrinsic, inherent power and inherent beauty, the other one is acquired beauty. Lastly, he says something which I thought was uh, <laughs> very fun. Uh, it says, Yismuchu ve'hashamayim v'tagel ha'aretz. Let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad. Ve'yomru ba'goyim Hashem alach. And let them proclaim amongst the nations that Hashem has reigned. What is the difference between simcha and gila? We have seen before in the shiur that simcha is related to the word tzemach. Uh, this is something of Hirsch points out. 
that uh, Sameach and Tzamach are related words because Tzamach um, means to grow. Simcha is something we experience, says the Gra, when we have Hitchachut, when we have something new, when we're making progress, when we have something that we've brought additional into our lives. That's when we receive Simcha. Gila is a static joy. Gila is almost a eudaimonic happiness. That's what we call Gila. When you have a static joy, a simple, pleasant, um, unchanging state of joy, that's Gila. So because it says, Ein kol chadash, ein, ein kol chadash hashemesh, meaning that there is nothing new underneath the sun, we can only speak of joy on earth as Gila. However, above the sun, where there could be something which is chadash, over there I could say, yismichu hashamayim v'tagel ha'aretz, that the heavens could rejoice because there are, quote-unquote, um, new creations that happen in the heaven all the time, but in our world where there are no uh, new elements or new elements of creation that happen since creation, over there we say v'tagel ha'aretz. He brings further proof from this from the pasuk in Mishlei, Pasuk Perak Chav Gimel Pasuk Chav Dalit. It says Gil Yagil Avit Tzadik Violed Chacham Biyismach Bo. That rejoice should the father of a tzadik, and uh, the 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 one who gives birth to Chacham should be happy. We know that it's tzadik. The term tzadik is used for someone who has maintained, who has reached a platitude or a plateau of holiness or a plateau of service, where he remains a tzadik. Tzadik is generally a technical term meant to to mean someone who's reached a certain state. But that's a static state. So for a tzaddik, we say yagel. For a chacham, a chacham is someone who's constantly learning, is constantly growing, is constantly adding a Torah. For that we say, well, the one who gives birth to a chacham shall have happiness in him because there's constantly a growth in chokhmah. Okay, that's so much for the, the general um, approach. Lastly is the philosophical approach. Now, the Ralbag wrote a pirush on many of the Chumashim of the Torah, and he wrote many pirushim on Nach. The Ralbag, who's known by the Goyim as Gersonides, was a uh, 13th and 14th century French philosopher who was a serious rationalist and controversial in his time. And... His Pirushim have earned him the respect of <laughs> the Rishonim and even the Rishonim who disagreed with him strongly. In his, the, the, the Ralbag himself, um, the Ralbag himself has a very complex understanding of Nisim, of miracles, and of divine providence. In, he has a sefer called Melchamat Hashem, the Wars of Hashem. And in it, he has. It's a book of theology and philosophy. And he has a lot of discussion of how miracles work and what are the rules for when Hashem will create a nase and when he won't. How Hashkacha Pratid works, how does Hashem's providence work? Does Hashem have Hashkacha on individuals or does Hashem have Hashkacha on the entire world? And the, the Ralbag's opinions about these things are very complicated. I'm only mentioning this because the Ralbag learns the entire Hodu to be a sheer appraise to Hashem that teaches us something about Hashkacha Pratit. The Ralbag's own view, his personal view about Hashkacha Pratit is not accepted uh, amongst classical Jewish thinkers. It's a dat yachid. His view of Hashkacha Pratit is that Hashem does not have specific providence on individuals. 
For example, Hashem does not know or care that uh, Hashem does not have pro- does not take providence on somebody named Moshe ben Shushan. That's not how Hashem works. That's not how Hashem takes care of the people in the world. What Hashem will do is Hashem has his providence on categorical um, categorical subsets. So, for example, um, if there is a class of people who are Jewish and a class of people who learn Torah, right? So Hashem will watch people who learn Torah and Hashem will watch people who are Jewish. But Hashem does not um, apply his hashgacha to the individual per se. However that works is complicated, very complicated. And his system for how hashgacha pratit is, works is complicated. Irrespective of his complicated understandings of how Hashem um, enforces or enacts his specific providence on people, he believes very strongly that Hashem does have, does command a providence on our world. And Hashem does care deeply about our world. And Hodu is a song that teaches us something really incredible. Really incredible, especially if you're the Al-Bag. According, according to him, Hodu teaches us that if we strive to cleave to Hashem, Hashem will show us His providence. And Hashem will show us His providence to the degree that He will even overexert, overextend and perform miracles. That for people who wish to see Hashem in their life and those who struggle to get closer to Hashem, those people will see Hashem and Hashem will come closer to them and even perhaps show them Nisim. Nisim are not something that Hashem likes doing in the view of their Al-Bag. Hashem created nature. He loves nature. He doesn't want to bend nature. He will only do it for the few, for the special, and for very specific circumstances. However, these rules are broken for those who try to cleave to Hashem. It's, it's, a, it's a position which shows those who have any doubts that the Rabag himself was extremely, extremely religious and very passionate about Yerat Shemayim and uh, Avodat Hashem. So, according to his approach, his approach is philosophical. And so with his lens, we see a lot more in the psukim than we would have seen if we would have simply looked at it historically. The first thing that I think that, he, that uh, is important for, that he points out that we should see, uh, I think we only have a few more, yeah, a few more minutes left, but we're going to just look at the philosophical points he brings out from Hodu. Number one is the pasuk, Ki kol elilim, for all the gods of the nations are nothings, elil, right? Hashem Shemayim Asa says the Rabag, that's not a shvach. That's not a praise. What are you talking about? For all the gods of the nations are nothing, but Hashem made the, made the heavens. I can't explain this pasuk to mean that that's a praise. That's like saying the dog down the road has no bank account, but the Joneses down the block, they have a billion dollars. That's not a praise. That doesn't make any sense. You're saying, okay, there, there's, there's statues of clay and, and Hashem created the universe. So he explains it in one of two other ways. Either you could say that what the pasuk means is, ki doesn't mean because, ki means hine. So behold, Hashem created that all the, the idols are trash. Vahashem, Shemayim Asa. And this basically, the, the, the hine doesn't make it a continuing, uh, continuing sentence. So it's behold, it's two, two, two separate statements, so to speak. But he says a second shot, and that is that the Pasuk Chavav is going back on, on Pasuk Chavdalid. 
that the reason that the, the what does Pasuk Chaptal say? Give me a second. Sapru um, Bagoim et Kavodo, that the, 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 the sorry, uh, not Chaptalit. Yeah, I think it's Chaptalit. Um, that Sapru Bagoim et Kavodo, that the, the nations should should relate his glory among the nations. So why should the nations pray Hash, uh, praise Hashem? The reason is because it's so simple. The key here is just saying, the, the, the word key is saying because the logic is simple. There's, they should praise Hashem because it's obvious idols are man-made trash, and yet Hashem created all. It's, a, it's not, a, this is the Pasuk who's not a praise. The Pasuk is a, an explanation or a reason why they should praise Hashem. Okay, that's, that's point number one. Point number two is Oz Vechedva. This is one of the most, actually one of the, a very famous Ralbag. It's just a, a few sentences which actually define who he is. It says, Oz Vechedva Bimkomo, that there is um, might and, where do I find myself here? Hashem Shemayim Asa. Am I finding it? I apologize for technical difficulties. Um, yeah, delight and joy is in his place. That might and delight. Now, chedva is a language of simcha. So the Rabag believes, and he's, he writes this, that the truest joy, the highest joy that we could experience, and this he says, we see this from experience, is not from material pursuits or from sensual pleasures. The greatest and truest joy that we can experience in this world is intellectual joy. There's no greater joy that someone could possibly have than understanding something intellectually. Therefore, that it would, it would, um, it would, the next word, my vocabulary gets lost, I'm tired, I'm sorry. So therefore it would follow that um, because Hashem, in the view of the medieval philosophers, was the greatest intellect, Hashem is the the greatest active intellect, embodiment of intellect, and Hashem has the greatest and is the, the source of all chokhmah, his abode, or where Hashem resides, has to be the abode of the greatest joy. Because we always, hum, humans, we inextricably link intellectual achievements with joy, that must mean that chokhmah itself, wisdom itself, is joyous. And therefore, any place or abode or, or any um, uh, closer relationship we could get to Hashem would be a place of joy. This is why he says by the by the Birchat Chatan we say Shasimcha Bimo for there is joy in his abode. To tell us that the true joy is not the pursuits of this world. It's not getting married, it's not this and that. True joy is getting closer to Hashem. That that is the um, let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad. So because he was a rationalist, this couldn't be literally. The, 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 the celestial bodies were not, not, were not independent agencies with their own intellectual capacity. Rather, what it must mean is that these are mishalim, these are allegorical. So it's as if to say that the heaven and the earth were excited that to have mankind exist in them to fulfill Hashem's ultimate goals. These, that's, that's the allegory of this pasuk, that um, the world should praise Hashem and even the heavens and the earth should be excited that they could help Hashem uh, fulfill His purpose by allowing mankind to exist in them. 
34. So it's Lamed Dalid. Of course, he has to point out because uh, he's the Rabag that Hodu Hashem Kito for Hashem is good. That this is a source, that Hashem is the source of only good. That only good things come from Hashem. And evil things that come, that we think are coming from heaven, are just contingencies which are which don't come from Hashem. These are coincidence, so to speak, a contingency, so to speak. They're not things that come directly from Hashem. No evil comes from Hashem. Hodu Hashem Kitov. Le'olam, kilolam chasto. It means that it's immeasurable. Hashem's good is not measurable for us. Pasuk Lamed Hey. How does the Ralbag explain finally the end of Hodu? How does why is it pivoting? Why does it go to Hodu Lashem Kitov Kilom Chastov? What what relationship do those last Pesukim have to the rest of Hodu? According to the Ralbag, David HaMelech pivoted here. David HaMelech was being Menaveh. In this song, he was having a Nivuah. And in his Nivuah, he had he in his prophecy he saw the future and he saw the future struggles that Bnei Yisrael were going to have. So he prayed and he had, he wrote a tefillah that we should be saved so that we could in the future praise his name again uh, when he fulfills his promises to us to bring us to Eretz Yisrael, as the rest of the Shir said. Um, so that second pasuk of Vimru Hoshinu Lekeyoshenu would be part of David HaMelech's nevuah to the future and praying that we should have the same zechutim that the Avot had and that they had in the, Pulish, the time of the Pulishtim and that these miracles should endure. As for the last pasuk of Hodu, it says, Baruch Hashem min ha'olam olam. This is actually the format of brachot as they were said in the Beit HaMikdash. So as a rationalist, the Ralbag um, says that this was, this was a standard closing for the Levim. When they would close their tefillot, they would finish with a bracha. So Baruch Hashem El Kei Soman Olam Olam is simply the closing of the services for that day. Bezat Hashem, next week we will, fin- we will continue with the Pesukim that the Sfaradim say after, um, after Hodu.